More talk about the PS5. Most definitely delayed. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 159. 159. Kiki, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't yell at me for drinking a Diet Dr. Pepper. What does he have against Diet Dr. Pepper? He He's coming from a place of concern and understand it. We've had, me and him both have had kidney stone problems. And he understands that oh, drinks yeah. do, these types of drinks don't help it. It depends on they why don't? you had your kidney stone Mine was most more of, the, of a, most though. Mine was a lack of water. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing. Which I'm still actually because of the quarantine stuff going on. But it's less about the soda and more about the way that I eat. A lot of the stuff I eat, the water that I had, I don't take enough water in to clean my kidney out. Well, I or could, was it? I've I gotten could, better. I can tell you right now, somebody who's had better. problems with that in the past, it's not because of the water or anything that I it was my fault. It was not a matter of not filtering and calcium building up and making stones. Hmm? Um, that still doesn't help. <laughs> What do you mean? Dr. Pepper still doesn't help. Oh, I know it doesn't help. <laughs> okay. I um, didn't say it was helping. Okay. Yeah, I'll just make sure. I know it hurts. It's just, for the most part, you know, they, they test your stone and tell you what you have it for. And there's a, there's actually a multitude of, yeah, ways, a lot of, of reasons. reasons that you can have them. And mine was primarily la- lack of water. So it lo- really, it's lack of fluid. I didn't. Dr- I don't drink enough fluids throughout the day yeah. to clean my kidneys out enough. Well, yeah, but still, the most, the, the, uh, still a normal person could drink sodas if they offset it with enough water. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, everybody, to Kidney Beans, a Kidney Stone podcast. <laughs> kidney Beans. Could you imagine? Two beans in a pod. Ooh, could you imagine if they came out the size of like a like a lima bean? Ugh. They probably even couldn't. <laughs> There's probably a world record for that. I, I don't want that world record. I don't want that world record either. Anyway. <laughs> Into the show how we normally start? Yeah, so we're going to start this thing off uh, just as not normal could we technically already have missed that opportunity but now we're going to start as we normally do and that's a question i think both of us know our answers to right now i've only played one game this week have you played anything else technically because I, I didn't get final fantasy till tuesday so yes so, i have okay but yeah. go ahead i only played well, tell you what, I'll, I'll get my first seven. one out of the way and then yeah. we'll both talk about final fantasy 7 we're going to do like a light just our, our general thoughts on it. i'm not going to go into no any spoilers kind of spoiler like territory that. but the only other game that i played was fallout 76 which i actually am a little interested to get back to i'm waiting i think we're going to try and play today uh me and donovan uh sadly blake doesn't have internet right now hmm. he just moved uh which Shout out to Blake for getting to a new place with black with the backyard. There's nothing better, you know what I mean, uh, than getting your own little place where you can have the little things that you were wanting. Like if you don't care about a backyard, it's cool. But if you've been wanting a backyard, it's good to get. I just don't know uh, what I would do with it. Other ha- than have mow to mow it. it, yeah. Other than mow it, <laughs> uh, well, he's got kids. It's a little different. That's, yeah, I can understand. Yeah. I love that we have the side yard because of kids. But anyway, uh, yeah. Fallout 76. I want to get back to because the Wastelanders update dropped, which adds NPCs to the world and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and that apparently changes the way the game plays quite a bit. Yeah. So we will see. Like I said, five for five dollars, I've gotten. I actually have enjoyed Fallout seventy six. Um, even it, it's it's different without NPCs, but I wonder how much more it feels a lot like Fallout four. I wonder how much more it's going to feel like Fallout four, just happening to be online. If it ever NPCs goes on like a deep sale that's less than ten dollars i would say i might buy it just because i'm looking for a fun multiplayer game we can all play yeah and your thing right now is that you need it to be digital still which yeah. is which is an issue because it goes on sale physically for five to ten dollars well i've actually relatively had, i've had often. some other issues on my playstation 4 that kind of scare me every time i take it out of rest mode it rebuilds the database oh 
Uh, yeah. Is that a common thing or not a common thing? But is that a pro? Is that a known thing? I think that might be hard drive related. I'm trying to remember. I, I've never had the problem, but I remember looking it up one day. On I was looking up something else in relation to hard drives on my original PlayStation Four. Yeah. Um, and that was a concern that came up. Mine ended up not being that, thankfully. But there was a concern about that, and people. I'm pretty sure it's what it is. Look it up. It's been years for me, but I'm pretty sure that every, if it has to rebuild your database every time, it's, that it's only done it. it like the past three days. But every time, without fail, taking out of risk mode. That's rough. Because then the point of rest mode is gone, right? Don't you have to restart the program anyway? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, anyway, yeah. So on from there, let's go ahead and talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, and like we said, no spoilers or anything like that. We're going to talk just very, very loose things about the game uh, and how we're enjoying it. So I'm going to let Saul start that one off. So uh, I am enjoying it more than I thought I would. There's still a definite issue of it's still like just way too long for what it, for what it is. There's a lot of padding in this game. And it's not necessarily as bad as I thought it would be, but there is entire sections that I'll talk about if we ever do an impressions or spoiler epi- or a spoiler part that you could just take out, and it had nothing to do. Like there's there's one there's one spot um, in chapter nine, I think, uh, where you could remove that entire boss battle, the whole thing leading up to it, and it do it wouldn't really affect anything. They, like they shoehorned a reason on why these three characters need your validation, and that's one of them. And it kind of just made me like it kind of like I was done with it by the end. I was just like, man, this is just taking too long. This chapter I'm on now is taking too long. Like, it feels like I've been on the same chapter, chapter 17 for four hours. And it's just like, there's, there's really cool stuff they've added. Then there's just a lot of very standard tropey JRPG stuff they've added too, which is really annoying. So I'm glad you brought that up as your first point, because mm -hmm. of course, last week you were saying that you felt like there was a lot of weird padding. uh, And to be fair, you just gave it the credit of, like, it's not all bad padding, necessarily. It's not all bad padding, no. It's just there's unnecessary padding in it. So there, there comes two things here, and this is one of those big things that I think people who are fans of Seven are going to just be in a thing, be in an, an argument about. I think there's people that take the, and I'm one of them, to be fair. Uh, I, I actually always thought that we didn't spend enough time in Midgar, and that for it to be kind of like the catalyst point for a lot of the things that are going on, it's weird that you leave it so quickly in the first game, like in the original game to me. So actually spending time and going through and doing some of the things that were just implied in the first game, uh, I really enjoy. And I think that some people like me look at the statement from uh, from the uh, Yoshinori Katase and all them of, there are things that we originally wanted to do, but the technology could not support, so we just decided to cut. I wonder how many of these things are 100% new, just recently thought of, that they decided to add to the game and expound, and how much of it, was actually what they were originally hoping that they could have done and couldn't have done. Something well, don't, well, don't, we'll, it's something we'll never know, well, to be fair. Well, don't, yeah, don't, don't forget also that Nomura's directing this game. Yeah. So this may not be what they wanted at all. I'm actually going to say most of this well, probably yeah, is Katase not. But Katase is still a director. I mean, they, he definitely has input. Yeah. And there was a big thing. He was glad that Nomura was chosen. Yeah. There's a lot of I, interesting stuff that behind the scenes we'll never know exactly. Yeah, but, I still doubt that everything that got added or even parts of it were things that they wanted in the original. Just because I, a lot of this stuff is very Nomura feeling. I think some of it is. Like I, I, I wouldn't say uh, a lot. I would say like at most, but I'm not as far as you, and that's a big well, important thing. No, I'll give you a perfect example that is a side quest that's the first two hours of the game. The cat side quest. It, it's a side quest. Yeah, that's still the most you can't Nomura. Really, you, you, I mean, I, I, I understand, but you can't talk about side content. But it's still in the game. In, in relation to, okay, 
Fair. I think what I'm getting at is I thought you meant fluff within the actual main story. No, that I mean have within the entire game. Yeah, well, I mean, even anytime that That's you add side content. Stuff. Yeah, anytime you add side content, I think that most side content in most games is fluff and it's unnecessary and it draws out long. And it's for people that want to do it. And I'm glad that this game does something that I feel like Assassin's Creed Odyssey did not do, which is the ability to to avoid it if you didn't want to do it. Now, the irony here is that in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I was getting tired of having to do it because it was it was stopping me from enjoying the story that was starting to get interesting. Yeah. The weird thing in this game it, which is, is that, in this game. yeah, in this game, each time that they present you with areas that have side quests, I feel like I kind of have the time to do it, and I've done every side quest in this yeah. game, and I didn't even go into the game thinking I was going to do that. I, it just goes to show you that when you when you give people the option, you kind of have or what feels more like the option. And I, and honestly, at first I enjoyed it, and then when it started being like, oh no, you have to do this to level up enough to be able to continue. Like that, you do a mission, and then your next main story mission is like six levels higher than your current. It's mission. almost like an MMO. Like, kind of like World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy fourteen do that exactly. So I, I like that this game had that, but okay, I, I can understand more what you're talking about now. I thought you actually meant in the main scenario, and that's why I was no. like, no. What huh. I talked about originally was in the main scenario. Okay, with the boss. Um, and and a, I'm still trying to remember what chapter nine was, but I'll we, we could talk about it. About have you gotten to Wall Market? Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the ending of Wall Market, or not the ending of Wall Market, but the, what you have to get, what you have to do in Wall Market to get to the middle of Wall Market to start the original trade sequence of the game, first game. Mm, okay. That whole entire like Oblivion style process was annoying. <laughs> That's a good way to. Yeah, it's, it was annoying. I don't mind that, but and, I, and the boss fight at the end was was another one of those. This game has a problem with some of the side bosses that I feel like they're intentionally long for no reason. Like that boss there, there's another that one was hard like, yeah, and really long. Yeah, yeah, there, that happens a couple more times. Like yeah. where the game, the bosses take thirty ish minutes to beat, and it's just like why? Like I, I understand. Like in the original game, or in the original Final Fantasy VII game, I don't recall a boss that is early in the game at all that would have taken that long, unless you just really don't know what you're doing. But me fully understanding Final Fantasy VII Remake, the stagger system and everything, it, I feel like it still shouldn't have taken this long. And what, what's even more irritating is later on in the game, the boss that I'm at now, mm-hmm. um, it does not give you an option to go into a menu to configure stuff. And then you just get sent into the boss, and then you're like, well, crap, I forgot that I took that material off Aerith, and now he, she doesn't have it. And now I can't use that ability in that's, the boss battle. That's something in the game that I actually I find interesting. I, I, I've not settled as to whether I like it or not. So, yeah, there are certain times where you get into a boss fight, and, of course, you have limited material slots. So you have to choose what's most important to you. Yeah. But sometimes um, you'll go into a boss, and you'll realize that none of the people you have, even if you try and have a spread, uh, maybe you have too small of a party, so there's not enough room for you to be able to have everything. Or you're character hopping, <clears throat> which is what I just got done doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And I, I don't, uh, maybe as I get farther, it'll start to wear on me more. Right now, I kind of, it's interesting because it's like an extra challenge of like, oh, I came into this boss fight. I've used assess on him. I don't even have the thing that's his weakness equipped. Well, wait till you now use assess it's kind of no like, <laughs> yeah, and then, well, yeah, there's, I've already seen that a couple yeah, times now. That, uh, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, because I'm at the, I just finished chapter twelve. Um, okay. So anyway, um, with that stuff going on, it's kind of like the I like the idea of the challenge of like even though I don't have the thing equipped that would technically help me get through this quicker, 
I like that. And actually, chapter nine, the thing that you're talking about, the end of that uh, was one of them. I went in and I was like, ah, of course, I took that one off as my linked materia. So I'm not, I don't have any, you're not dealing I, that elemental I, have, damage I don't have area. the recourse of the elemental damage I did. That's have. actually, that's actually where I took my elemental material off because the way that boss worked, it's like you, mm-hmm. you were never right. Yeah. The, except like one out of three. Uh, or one out of four, I guess. Yeah, and it didn't start being a thing until later in the game, in the boss fight. But still, yeah, yeah it, it was interesting to see that go down. I I, I like it because it's kind of like, well, if you die because you can't do the challenge, like if you just can't rise to the challenge despite not having what you what would make it easier, then when you go to redo it, for the most part, I haven't run into a situation. But for the most part, it'll let you respect yourself before you go back into the fight. But you're talking about a boss fight that doesn't let you do that. I'm talking about a few boss fights that don't let you do that. Ooh, that's I, rough. I was telling Brett right before the bo- uh, right before the game started. Or for the show started was that there's a boss that I died to, and I went to hit re restart to checkpoint so I could respec my character, and I was like, okay, it put me back a whole entire boss fight before him. Now, granted, the way that the, the way that it worked was that I beat the boss and then I just have to run to him and there's another boss pretty much after a cutscene. I didn't want to do that again because that boss fight that I did before him was fairly long. I'd say fifteen ish twenty minutes long. Yeah. Um, so actually it allowed me to load up an auto save and I was thankful for that. Um, but yeah, so it gets kind of irritating when something like that happens and the nature of it, I'll explain it to you off the camera. Cause it's not even like even a spoiler, but I don't want to mention it on the show just in case that somebody's on here, but the nature of it is what it kind of like, I, you know, this is an RPG. I spent time and like getting this right for all my characters. And then like, I made the mistake of taking something off and now I can't put back on in this boss fight, which is one of the reasons I put it on in the first place, which I guess goes back to my thing of liking it and not liking it. It adds more weight to your decisions to include or not include something in your build because you never know when you may need it and not have the opportunity to change it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it would be kind of nice to always have access to it. Like, you know, for as much as people were worried that this game was going to be like Kingdom Hearts, it's actually decidedly not. It's I mean, decidedly better. I, I, I actually was going to say that one of the takeaways I have for this game, I think it could be probably met in the middle a little bit more just because of, and maybe it's because the com- of, are you talking I've, about the combat or the overall game? Excuse me, the uh, combat system. Okay. Um, as Kingdom Hearts is done with the Dark Seeker saga, and as we're going forward with something that's going to be different, mm-hmm. why not also take that moment to do something f- and actually shake up the combat system uh, in a decent way? And I think that I like a lot of what this chooses to do. It's a little more thoughtful. You have to actually pay attention to everything that you have equipped in the material system, which I'm not saying that it should take on the material system. To be fair, though, you, that's but I like, a I trait even of like the original the, game. What's up? That's a trait of the original game. Oh, the materials for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, in the whole the whole thing you're thinking right now, like the the, the really paying attention to your equipment and your oh, items yeah. and stuff like that. But that was always back then, at least that well, was always a Final Fantasy thing. Yeah, in that's what I, that's my point is I'm making it to I'm making a point to say like Final Fantasy has not been like that for a while, and it's finally refreshing to get yeah. back to that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, uh, but yeah, Kingdom Hearts, I'd like to see them. Again, not can totally take Kingdom Hearts of Final Fantasy sevens, but I like the little bit of extra room for like. Being able to go from moment-to-moment gameplay, which is more like Kingdom Hearts, it's still different in this, uh, but moment-to-moment gameplay that's kind of fast and action-oriented, but then having it to where you build a system that lets you stop and strategically choose what you're doing between your party members, it's fun because it creates something that feels like a little bit, and you know I'm a diehard Kingdom Hearts fan, but it creates something that's got a little bit more nuance to it. And it's what I said when I first played the demo that I really loved is finding a balance between like something that feels turn-based in moments which is really the strat- the strategic moments of how to use your uh, APB bar and going through that. I like that aspect because it makes for something that's 
more stimulating as you continue to go on. It feels less button mashy because you may be a little button mashy with still having to pay attention. Uh, but when you get to the moments where you're really going to do something that's massive and going to take damage and really do something, it's like, okay, you have to stop. You, you hit the buttons and you can cycle through these characters. You get time to think about exactly what you want to do so that you don't make a mistake. Yeah. And, and I like that. Yeah. I think the, the combat system is one of the best combat systems in a JRPG game I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Uh, they being able to, and the way I'm using Cloud, I'm using Cloud as an elemental linked uh, battle mage, I guess you could call him. He's He essentially gets his gauge up using normal attacks linked with magic, and then he is then using magic to stagger enemies mm-hmm. uh, with like the lower magics, and then you're using really heavy magics to to deal damage when they are staggered and, and wiping them out. But at the same time, there's so much in this game that feels like a normal JRPG that for me... I never got that feeling in like an older Final Fantasy game. Like Final Fantasy X or seven, it never felt like that at all. And it might be because the what I'm talking about is like this field, like there are tropes in this game that feel like they come out of Kingdom Hearts, and that's because Kingdom Hearts didn't exist back then. Yeah, um, well, and I think Kingdom Hearts is that because Final Fantasy has been a slower series in recent yeah. years. I think it's a good way of kind of describing that Kingdom Hearts is probably a closer look of what a modern JRPG feels like more so than Final Fantasy, because Final Fantasy hasn't been able to set that tone the same way. But speaking of battle, the battle system is is 10 out of 10. What is not 10 out of 10 is some of the enemy and boss designs tied with aerial combat. That is some of the worst instances of combat ever. So you mean how most bosses have some form of aerial? There are many bosses. There's a a mini boss later on where you, like, it's whack-a-mole. And it is the most frustrating thing in the world to do as a battle mage because you, you're, you're trying to use spells and as you charge up, whoop, they disappeared. Yeah. It's, I, I find myself constantly using spells that are guaranteed to hit, which even in that situation would not. But there's sometimes where it's like there's one boss who's weak to ice, but he moves around erratically. Oh, you're talking about the chapter 11 boss. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, every That's, time you shoot him with ice, he moves before it can ever explode it, and actually that, damage That boss him. fight was the first time I died in the game. And that boss fight also took me 30 minutes. That was another one of those 30 minute boss fights I was talking about because you had to time it right when he would stop. And mm-hmm. then you would, you would cast Blizzard ahead of time. Then he'd stop where like it Blizzard would pretty much go over there as he'd stop and then explode. And you're like, thank you. Yeah. And it took me 10 minutes of that boss battle to get that timing right. Cause he doesn't start doing that till phase two. Mm-hmm. But that is also another thing that I like to do or that I liked in this game that I actually did not expect to happen that is a normal enemy in Final Fantasy VII they made into a boss. Yeah. And that's really cool. The same thing with the one in Wall Market. Those are really... And there's there's another one that, that I just did that was actually, absolutely mind-blowing that that's a, this part of the game. Um, it's a very... It's, it's a much later boss in the original game. Or, well, yeah. But... I love that aspect of it. But there's so many weird little things about this that, like, people are saying like, it's a 10 out of 10... I don't see how anybody with or could or how anything like this game with literal PS3 textures that are everywhere can call this a 10 out of 10 game. There's a massive I, problem. I, I mean, I think that it comes down to just, and, and I understand it. I think that's just like, how much do you care about presentation? I think most of the game's presentation is solid. It is. And it's not with characters, but it's, but, it is distracting in certain parts. Like there's, um, I'm not, and again, I'm not as far as you. So there's no telling what I may oh, have not oh, seen. There's time, a couple of things I've seen. Next like, time you're in Air's hometown, just take any corner of the map and just point down. It looks like a Fallout game. It doesn't even look like Final Fantasy. It, remove your characters from the screen. It looks like Fallout, exactly like Fallout. Hmm. 
Uh, I don't know that I agree with that, but I, I mean, I promise you, you'll go back there at least once or twice more. Next time you're playing, just go to a random area in that area, just a random spot in that area, and just turn your camera, and look down, so you can't see any characters around you or any buildings, and just look at the ground. Fallout, exactly like a Fallout game. Okay. The color, uh, and I mean specifically Fallout Four, the color, the the, the textures, the everything, it just does not look great. That being said, though, this is still a solid 8 out of 10 experience, and I've yet to finish it. So I have a feeling that when I finish it, already knowing what's going to happen, seeing it play out, I'm like, okay, this is way better. Well, just it's to like, go to your sentence real quick before, I've, before we go too far past it, you said, how do people view this as a 10 out of 10? I think it's kind of like you haven't played it, so I know you don't have this exact frame of reference, but it's kind of like the original Nier. The original Nier is not a beautiful game. It has moments. It's, it's okay. But it's a 10 out of 10 game for most of the people who played it and actually saw it through to the end. Very few. I, don't, I think it's one of those games where you either play it and you beat it or you play it and you don't like it. Well, I guess. <laughs> but my point being is that that and even Drake and Guard 3, Drake and Guard 3 is not quite a 10 out of 10 because there's, there's some things, and it's from a, and a legitimate performance side that stops it. Graphics, I have presentation. I, I mean, don't wrong. I enjoy it. I love good graphics. I think I, it's very rare that someone really doesn't, but it's how much does it add up to what you're doing. But. Something like Dragon Guard Three did not look pretty. It actually looked a lot of the times kind of like a early. Issues. It had like an early PS3 Dynasty Warriors look to it sometimes, which but you're like, okay, whatever, it's cool. But, but it, until it started literally becoming a, a hassle to play in a few areas because of frame rate issues, I never cared. So just to kind of throw that out there, and everyone's different, and you, that, I you may clarify be different. that I'm, not- I'm, I'm fine with any game that can be a ten out of ten. If graphics are the only thing keeping it from being, a I'm not. I'm not, I should clarify. I'm not talking about buddies of ours. I'm not talking about Josh or Kiki saying this game's a ten out of ten. I'm no, talking I'm about literal review websites. Yeah, I know that that are supposed to be objectively reviewing a game, making it a ten out of ten, and it has problems like this. I don't believe that any review site is objective. So that, I mean, I, I I agree that they should be. Yeah, but I don't agree that any. That's of well. Them that's are. What, that's that's what I was saying. So, is yeah. that, like I don't understand how this so, this supposed to be objective site that's supposed to tell me this game. And I'm supposed to believe this review score, and then they're writing it 10 out of 10s, and I'm playing it. I'm like, you know, I could definitely see an 8 out of 10, 8.5 out of 10, maybe even 9 out of 10 when I finish it. I agree with that. A 10, though, this game being literally perfect and it has these issues, like, no. Yeah, I think that's It's fair. like God of War, though. God of War, like I said, <clears throat> towards the end, I had minor pacing issues, but I would look past all that because of how well the game was presented and how fun the game was. I'm not saying that the yeah. textures are what's doing it for me. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, that's fair. The whole experience is wrapping up to be, you know, this game is amazing despite the fact that some boss battles are slow and some boss battles are kind of annoying to deal with. They're a slog. But other than that, it's, it's like, okay. textures aren't even my complaint. It's just, but... It's still something of note for from an objective standpoint. Yeah. I, do, I understand that. Well, I don't want to talk about this for too long for no, people yeah. who have no interest in Final Fantasy VII. So the last thing I'll say is a little bit of a hot take for some people, I'm sure. The most striking thing about coming off of you know playing 15 as the last Final Fantasy game, of course, uh, mainline Final Fantasy game, and then coming into this, is that this game, Seven Remake, is a lot like... It feels a lot like... Final Fantasy 13, if Final Fantasy 13 learned all the lessons that I think made most people not like it. I'll say something a little bit more of a hot take. This is the best Final Fantasy game since 12. I think not I'd including agree. 14. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that as well. Uh, the thing that makes it kind of feel like 13 is like the movement and it coming back to more of a linear feel, more of a linear feel. And the biggest thing I think it takes away, you know, we always talk about how everybody says Final Fantasy 13 eventually opens up. It's just... Like some, some people like, well, it opens up, and, but it doesn't open up until way too late. Yeah, It's like you've dealt with an entire game of corridors 
up until the point that it finally decides to open up. I'd say and it opens up 30 hours. Kind of. It's yeah. still not of a big open up. I like that this game has chosen to weave its ability. I, I take it to, it's not open world. And I'm a little disappointed that I, I wouldn't say disappointed. I'm a little surprised that it wasn't like a fully open world. Mid-bar, well, hey, hey, don't though I think though. that's actually better. I think that that's better for the game. Now that I'm playing it, I don't, don't think it should have been open world. Don't forget no, though that, playing. that, the that they are still going off the base game and the base game Midgar was not, but don't forget that when you get out of Midgar, the world map does go open. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious as to how they handle that. I think that there was a, probably once they realized that this game was not going to be out until around this time point that they knew that next gen consoles would be coming and that the next game can benefit from next gen consoles and being a completely open world. I do think we'll see it, but I think it was smart for this game to within Midgar to scale back. Because all of this is going to be a PS4 game. It seems. I, I'm still, no, I don't know. There's I, no way I'm that Square curious. would make a part one on PS4 and then part two on PS5 only. Well, I mean, <sighs> PS2 only? PS5? I said PS5 only. Did you? I, I swear I heard PS2. You, you Somebody might let us know. But listen, uh, where I'm getting at is this is still not that far in, in, unless it comes down to the way save states are going to work. That's the only thing is how they plan on letting your character, if they even plan on letting your character's information better, move into the next game. better move into the next game. Or if they're going to start you off as Cloud with most of the same material and just let you go. Not your exact character, but with all the things that you would reasonably have had. I think that if they do that, that's a major flaw because I've already went out of my way and explored to find material that I currently use. Mm-hmm. And if they don't include that one material, I'm going to be pretty mad that at that point, I'm not going to explore at that point. It's like, there's no point in the third game. I may have an item that I, I grew to love in too, but now in the third game, I don't have it. Yeah. So, but my point being is that if, there's if this is game. more, yeah, if this is, and it may be, maybe there's only two parts and maybe they are both on PS4 and that's how they rectify that. But if it's going to be two or three parts, I could see it coming to PS5. Uh, maybe even being a PS5 only and having it to where you start. Where they're viewing it as like a series at this point. No longer is it meant to be like we're breaking the game up into three parts that are meant to be connected. Connected. Yeah. They're gonna. It's it's almost for them. It's like Kingdom Hearts one, two, and three. Yeah. You know, no one. And I don't mean you're. I get what you're saying, but no one was like Kingdom Hearts three didn't come out on PS2, but that's where I started playing the series. They're viewing it more like Kingdom Hearts. It's the same and game. And you're though. wanting it to be more like the original Final Fantasy VII, where even though they're breaking it up, you want everything to flow through. And I don't think that's a wrong want. You want no, everything to flow it's through. It's like Mass Effect. If, if yeah. Mass Effect, the last-gen game, could do that, then Square Enix can make it do that with this game. Oh, I mean, I agree. I still don't know that they will. Definitely now that I'm playing this, I don't think they will. I think they're viewing each entry, each entry as a 100% separate Also, entity. I will say, one thing that has, that has piqued my interest and saved this game uh, from a, a lot of criticism for me is if they did follow the original story and doing what they're doing, to a T, mm. there's something in, in in the first three hours. I would say three. The first two hours of the game, that that if you play the original, you know that there's a presence there that should not be there. Mm-hmm. And it's it, that right there, that moment right there, shocked the crap out of me. I was like, "What is going on at this yeah. point?" And, and I think it does a lot to set the tone for the rest of the game. Yeah, and it keeps you guessing what's going to happen. And I think that they did that really well. Nomura is a crazy man in a good way for actually taking it taking uh, this game in the direction it's going. And I'm actually curious. Of course, it's easy to pin it on Nomura because it feels so Nomura-like. No, this is a Nomura thing. But I'm actually really curious if they'll... uh, Again, one of those things that behind the scenes that we'll never see, 
I wonder the the most basic idea, the most basic idea of it. I wonder whose idea it really was. Oh, Nomura, I guarantee it. Anything, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'd love I'm, it if we get a if we get like an interview talking oh no, about. I, it. I'm 100 percent sure. I'm not gonna say why, be, or I'm not gonna say my reasoning why behind that because it'll it'll spoil part of it. But like literally, what he what is happening. I, no, I'm not even gonna say that. Just yeah, like, well, I'll tell we'll you just, after the show. Well, yeah. Anyway, okay. So can enough I, Final Fantasy VII. Hopefully, you don't I, hate uh, us for talking about it forever. Can I steal one of them diet Dr. Peppers? Uh, yeah, they're in the fridge. I right actually never one. have had one. They're they're pretty good. I've had they, Dr. Pepper Zero. Oh, Dr. Pepper Ten. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Those tens pretty good, but they're ten calories. <laughs> I'm not worried about the calories. This is just what we have. Uh, anyway, we're going to go ahead and move on. So thank you for sitting through the Final Fantasy VII talk. And for those who enjoyed it, there you go. For those of you who have no interest in Final Fantasy VII, hopefully we can get back to where you have some interest in this. But with that said, um, a new a new flavor I've never tried. Yeah, frost. frost yeah, you can grab one. Uh, anyway, we have our community's take question from last week. Of course, last week's episode, uh, we ended up finishing off all the news on uh, a bunch of Resident Evil stuff. So we chose to let the community's take be in regards to that and see how many of our listeners liked Resident Evil uh, and, of course, how they felt about where it's at right now. So the community's take question was, if you are a Resident Evil fan, how do you feel about the series seemingly becoming annual? Do you like that the idea... Uh, of continuing on the remakes with four while letting new installments go a different direction like seven and eight. Give us your thoughts for a chance to be read on the show. So over on Facebook, we got our first couple ones where Mr. Josh Shoop says, I don't know how long this would last. Really comes down to how many of the games they want to remake. I do think it's strange that they skipped Code Veronica. The hard part about making Resident Evil 4 is that most people consider it a perfect game, which was actually my first argument. I was like, why would you choose to remake 4, which is the one game that I think most people, not all, of course, and there's some people that talk about that, but I think most fans view as the only bridge between the two sides. It's like 4 happened, and then 5 and 6 are like one half of 4's design element, while 4 exists, and it's got some some pieces of 2 and 3 and 1's design elements in it. Uh, So yeah, Yeah. a lot of people view it as a perfect game. I think think they're just going for money at this point. I do as well, but a lot of, uh, based on oh, did he have more? yeah, he had more. I'm gonna finish it off real quick. He said so there would be higher expectations for it. That being said, if they do remake four, I hope that they don't go beyond that and instead focus on the new games. It would be great to see Capcom take the engine and maybe revive other series. I personally would love to see Breath of Fire come back, even if they just remaster it, specifically Breath of Fire three. Outside of Resident Evil, what Capcom series would you guys like to see Capcom work on? What series could stay buried? Keep up the great work, my dudes. I always like that Josh takes community take and spins it with a question for us that's related to the community take. Yeah. So we can do that now, or if you want to, we can save that question for when we were about to transition out of community take. I don't care. Let's save it for transitioning out. Okay. We'll get back to you, Josh. Hang tight. Uh, another Josh, since we have uh, a few of those, uh, Mr. Josh Drago over on Facebook in the group says, I hope they stop at four. I had lots of fun with RE5, and that was my second Resident Evil game. My first was Resident Evil 4, but I haven't passed it. Uh, not sure why everyone hated RE6, but to me, it wasn't bad. Just not scary. I hope they will make Resident Evil 8 and will add a trophy called Eat It. The description is Eat Turkey Spaghetti. I knew it. Loving it. I knew it. I looked at the camera whenever you said Josh Draker because I was curious as where Turkey Spaghetti was going to come. Turkey Spaghetti always has to come. I actually love that that's like a, a, a dedicated thing now. It is. If I see something from him, I, I look forward to Turkey Spaghetti being mentioned, so you know. 
Hitting, Josh with, Ayers, one of our patrons, says it will be eat turkey spaghetti and puke. Speaking of Josh Ayers, we're going to hit all the Joshes at once. He said on Discord, he said, I like the idea of them fixing the cannon to be more cohesive, even if they straight up cut some games from the cannon. Because all, uh, but a hand for a cannon. And he said, you can cut Gun Survivor 1 and 2. It wouldn't affect anything in the canon of the story. I do think that the remakes were a way to get... Um, a way to uh, a way to get new models for the main cast moving to four. Uh, main cast moving to four is a big step. However, loaded you with a lot of uh, people like Final Fantasy VII as being one of the best games of all time, and rightfully so. The goal may be twenty twenty two release, but with the importance of four, I don't see them wait or uh, wanting it to rush out the door. And he thinks that um, if they do four. do four, they won't touch five or six for a while. I don't know if they'll touch five or six at all, but if they do, I could see his reasoning for for. You know, a lot of people don't want it to go past four because they don't want to see five and six remade. But it's almost like if they do something, if they use the ability for remakes, right, to come in and say, how you like it, by the way? They literally just mix white out and voltage. It feels, it tastes good, though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's all they did, though. Yeah. Um, Mountain anyway, Dew, you're getting lazy. <laughs> like, I uh, would notice. I like the idea of I'm letting it be to rewrite canon. What they could technically do with remakes of five and six is make them something that leans more towards... And it's it's weird, though, because they risk alienating the people that originally actually liked 5 and 6. Yeah. But what they could do is let the new 5 and 6 be something that leans more towards what people loved about 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, whatever they choose to do. Um, I like that idea, and I do think he's right in that. We had a discussion about it. When you're remaking all these things, it's almost like they chose to remake it so they could keep the majority of the scenario the exactly the same. Uh, but then moving forward to eight, if they choose to reach back in through the lore, they ha- are through previous events, they've set slightly different canon and introduced things that can be touched on later that weren't in the original game. Or they're doing things where instead of where the original games had options, if you notice, two didn't have multiple, the it didn't have multiple options for ending um to where things could completely change their their setup. And that's the same in 3. You have a decided end. So unlike the other games where there were different ends that you could end on and just be like, oh, that was just a completely different happenstance. Yeah. Now there is a canon 1 ending. So I wonder if, if since we're going 1, 2, 3, and 4, if they're going to remake the side games like Outbreak or Code Veronica. I don't know. Depends on how much that they view their importance moving forward with the lore. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is that now they're letting the remake of two and three be the new canon. Yeah. And if they choose to do that with something else, um, a new face, a new name over here. I want to go ahead and hop on, uh, Mr. L U W K. I'm going to call him Luke rabbit. Yeah. Luke. Because that's what I see it as. Uh, I don't mind the remakes even annually. I hadn't played all of them before. So for me, it's refreshing. I have heard five and six are weaker and it'd be interesting for them to redo those in a way that might actually make them stronger games, even narratively as well, which is, what I just talked about. If franchise fatigue is a real thing, and I agree with you, Brett, that it can be, I wouldn't mind if they mixed in a Dino Crisis remake, which actually brings us back to Josh Shoop's thing. <laughs> That's one of the games. I'll go ahead and give that little tease out. I think Dino Crisis in the RE engine would be really cool. Uh, all right, let's what about see. Turok in the uh, in the RE engine? Not a Capcom game, but. yeah, but maybe. I mean, well, which which Turok? The original? The original? Yeah, or Turok Two? Yeah, I've never. I think Turok Two is the one I've never played. It was on GameCube and the original Xbox. Okay, then I did play Turok Two, but did it have you, a different name here? Turok Evolution. That was an Xbox 360 game, wasn't it? The one I'm talking about was a GameCube game. 
I don't think it was Turok Evolution. It might have been. But it also... Turok Evolution came out in 2002. And this is the one I was talking about. That's it the has... one that me and Seth had. Yeah. On GameCube. But, uh... Yeah, what was the, game? What was the 360 Turok game called? Turok. I should have expected. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, got, I, had a shirt from, I had a shirt from GameStop for them, for that. It was 2008. It was a reboot. It was just called Turok. Of course it was. And it was made by Epic, right? I don't remember. I never played Didn't it. Didn't Cliff Blazinski do this? I don't, I don't think so. I might be wrong on that. If not, it was at least in the uh, Unreal Engine. So it felt like it. Uh, anyway, over on Twitter, we have a couple as well. Uh, Mr. Derek, one of our uh, friends and patrons, he says, I'm actually over it. It was cool to see some of the much older installments remastered, but I think they've done enough already. Now they should concentrate on new entries. Seven was basically a reboot. Maybe expand on that, rebooting the story in a way instead of remaking. It's actually what I mentioned last week, and I think that it's interesting that they didn't choose to do that because Seven changes so much. But then again, the problem with Seven is by introducing chris into the game you kind of ruin some ability to stand on your own um he says but continuing to answer your question no they should not pump out yearly installments other studios have gone down that route with mixed results assassin's creed and call of duty comes to mind a two to three year development cycle seems to be the sweet spot um and i guess we should iterate that on most of these games they are getting at least around a two-year um development time but I think what's happening is that because that two-year development time is set in stone and they really try not to delay them, they're an annual series, but much like Call of Duty where originally it was Treyarch and uh, Infinity Ward where each team would get two years to make the game, but everybody's game would uh, one game would come out per year. Now it's one game comes out per year, but there's three teams working on it mm-hmm. for Call of Duty. So as it rolls around, it's it, it they do get the development cycle, but I think what ends up happening is I think the two to three year release cycle is actually a better one because I think that there's something to, about playing a game that you really enjoyed and having more than one year pass, but two years pass where you kind of start being like, you know, I'd like to play a game like that again. And instead of wanting to go back and play the original that made you feel that way, now you get a new one. Well, speaking of the originals, Mark Schultz <laughs> or Schultz on uh, Twitter says, sorry, maybe in the minority here, but I prefer the originals of two and three, which I still have. Tried the remake of 2, and I didn't get on with it. Didn't bother with the remake of 3. Which I've heard is actually kind of a popular thing, is that specifically 3, apparently 3 is not nearly as well done as 2 was. The and remake? or Yeah, the, the remake. The uh, apparently <laughs> it's, you know, it's $60. The replayability is less and less than it is in 2, and it's shorter than it is in 2. Like, I think they say that it takes you an average of 4 hours to get through it first, like, first playthrough, where at least 2 is like 11 hours. Ah! Nah, from from most of what I've seen from people that I know I can trust, and it's not just hearsay on the internet. You're talking six to eight hours. Not that it's ideal. That's still yeah. And three was always a shorter game than two, uh, from my memory. From when playing, I played three first, and then I played two years later. I'm trying to um, remember the review that I watched. It's, it's somebody I follow on, or I'm, I'm subscribed to on YouTube that now, reviewed it. One of our patrons and friends, uh, Mr. Dan uh, from overseas, he said. Uh, he uh, got the platinum in the game, and he got it to where he could get runs down to, which that comes down to replayability. What is replayability about for you? Is replayability just another campaign that changes events slightly and lets you see different things? Or is replayability about 
And that's one of the things that I've never been big on in the Resident Evil games. Four is probably one of the only ones I've ever done it on is replaying the game just to see about getting your time down and getting through it quicker and using some of the new things like the infinite ammo well, that's, rocket launcher. That's not, that's or, not, that's uh, not a, something a normal person's going to do playing that game though. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that core fan base for Resident Evil looks at that. You know that Josh Ayers, I'm not talking about core fan base when I talk about that though. Yeah, I know, the person I know. who played this so I'm saying there are people the that base. really love that idea of replayability and then there's people that see it as a one-time thing. And that really comes down to just personal interest. I think that there's probably a ton of replayability in Resident Evil depending on the things that you like to do. It and was, then there's no replayability if you don't care about replaying it again just to get your time down. It was the Cosmonaut Variety Hour, which I don't know if y'all have ever watched it before, but he reviews, he no. does long-form reviews on movies and games and stuff. And ironically enough, his review for Resident Evil 3 was seven and a half minutes long. <laughs> Where his, his normal reviews for like movies and stuff like are 45 minutes long. So he did it short long. kind of as a point to how get, little the game had to offer? I guess. I don't know. I'm just, I, I just took note of that. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people say that they don't care for the remakes. I've actually seen a lot of people talk about loving the originals more. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, again, it comes down to what do you like? Uh, I actually preferred the remake of 2 a lot because it felt a lot like I remembered 2, but without the hindrance of the camera. And I know the camera is a huge point of contention within the fan base. It's like Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Well, we were talking about that the other day in the Discord. Blake was wondering why there was two versions of Metal Gear Solid 3 and which one was the better one. And I said, well, it depends on how you feel about fixed camera versus free camera control. That's really the majority of the change on subsistence. Yeah. Is you're just dealing with, do you want a free camera that deal that kind of moves the series forward? Or do you want to go back to what one did and, and two did one, you know, that's the thing about Metal Gear Solid one is that because of the type of game it was and the way that they did fixed camera, it always felt like it made sense because it was almost, almost most of the time it was like a top down almost. It wasn't really a weird, like the thing that Resident Evil two and three used to do that. I, that I, even though I enjoyed Resident Evil three, I hated was like the end of a hallway camera or something where like you're running the most awkward directions. Yeah. And you were having to run diagonally by holding back. Yeah. It was weird and it never felt right, but I, the, the point of contention for Resident Evil specifically, you know, Metal Gear Solid is a little different. But for Resident Evil, it was always about the camera not being able to freely move made everything scarier. Because you couldn't swing the camera around and see where something was coming from. You had to wait until it came in the camera frame. The last time I played Resident Evil 1 was the Resident Evil 1 remake on DS. They remade Resident Evil 1 on DS? I don't, I don't, remake's probably a bad word, but the Resident Evil 1 On original DS? Yes. That would be a terrible game, I feel like. It actually wasn't. <laughs> Ooh. Interesting. All right, we're going to get a couple more of these in here real quick. Mr. El Jehudi, which is one of our... Uh, <laughs> I like the name change. But he's one of our patrons and good friends. He says, uh, any franchise that goes down the annual release rabbit hole eventually becomes stale. I agree that the Resident Evil series is one that I love, but it's important to have a break from time to time to build up anticipation for the next one. Which goes back to what I was talking about with that two-year window. It's called Deadly Silence. And they did that just because of dual screen. DS. Huh. <laughs> But, of course. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's to my knowledge, the entirety of Resident Evil 1. Is that a 3DS case that was in? No, that was a regular DS case. But, yeah, that's the entirety of Resident Evil 1. Interesting. Well, he finishes it off by saying, as for new installments, as long as there is a Resident Evil vision behind it, I am fine with it. I've liked all Resident Evils, action-oriented or survival horror. Now, one of the ones I wanted to get to that I don't think is actually in relation to this, sadly, but I, I remember it enough. Um, 
was a conversation that I was having alongside Mr. Sean Wanea, one of our patrons, and uh, Dan. My name is Dan, uh, another one of our patrons, and both of them good friends. Um, they were talking about their feelings on Resident Evil and how four ruined the franchise. Four, there, there are some, you know, they're the people that look at four and don't see the middle ground that I personally see, but they see kind of the downside of it past that. Now, I find that one interesting. Because it goes to show that any fan base will have the moments where, with as much as they love it, they still don't have that. It, it, it misses out and leaves the thing that they loved about it behind. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, it's I get it to an extent, but at the same time, it's just kind of one of those things where I personally don't agree with it. I do. I think a lot of the fan base for Resident Evil. Lost it at five. Five was the divisive device. That was mine. And it was a divisive moment for me. Like, I beat five, but the only reason I beat it is because we were playing at co-op. The game was not fun to me, except for co-op. Um, just in case it still has ever going to play it, uh, the last boss of five could beat with one rocket, right? I think so. I never like, did Don't you that. punch a boulder in that <laughs> fight, too? Yes, you do. Okay, yeah. And that. that was where Chris looked... I beat that game. Ridic- I feel like with each game going into five... Chris just looked like he was so stupidly swolled. <laughs> but I could barely remember that game. Yeah. And I beat it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things. But I thought that that conversation was interesting. I, I like to see that fan bases can be so different. And you see that in a lot of long-running franchises. Kingdom Hearts has got a lot of people that feel very different ways. Uh, it's like the longer a franchise stays around, the more divisive the fan base gets over what is like the good and bad points of a franchise. So I'd like to see that. Thanks for everybody for all the different viewpoints and, and talks on there. I think that there's nothing else I really throw in here. Um, I think most everybody kind of touched on everything. So thank you guys for getting with us and interacting with the community's take. Remember that you can always go to our Twitter and follow us there, which is at triangle SQRD, or you can go over to Facebook, which the Facebook group is triangle square to PlayStation podcast. Uh, and of course you can always hit into the discord as well. Uh, and you can answer these questions and we love to hear from you guys. It's probably one of the most fun parts of the show, seeing how vastly different everyone's opinions are. Uh, it's really fun. So, now we're going to go ahead and hop into the news and start talking about all that. The, the first thing is actually going to be a cap-off that kind of works. Oh, before we do it, what uh, Capcom games would you want to see remade into the engine? Uh, Monster Hunter games. Is the, the new Monster Hunter is on the MT Framework. Or whatever the, I think it's MT Framework. M. Dot Frameworks, ain't it? M. Dot, yeah, something like that. I'm pretty sure it is. I don't think... Isn't that who made... Um... I'm trying to remember. Yeah, MC Framework. D- D- DM. Oh no, M Dot is what I'm thinking of. That made DMC Five. They're 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 side Capcom team. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, MC Framework is just the engine. Uh, it's the engine that uh, was Lost Planet, Lost Planet Two, Three. I think all of the Lost Planets were on it. Um, it was the it was their big. Give me Lost Planet again. I actually did. I would like to see Lost Planet explored in a way that I actually like. I, the concept was cool. I just never liked the gameplay. The first, but game I only bad. played the first two. I never played three. There's a third one. I'm ninety percent sure, and I think I don't, it was. I don't think snow there heavy. Is. They're all snow heavy, aren't they? Lost Planet two, I think had it. Yeah, there goes Lost Planet three. It's a game that I would love to try in a in a new setting, something. But yeah, the uh, is it Lost Planet one snow heavy? I don't remember it being... I don't remember much about Lost Planet. Yeah. Like, I remember liking the concept, but never... Yeah, you're right. It must have been Lost Planet 2 that had the different case. It's been so long, I don't genuinely remember. Uh, but MT Framework was like Capcom's... Um, 
what's the EA engine? I'm, I can't think of right now. Oh, I don't know. Oh, Frostbite. It oh. Was, you know how EA was like, every one of our games is going to be made on Frostbite. MT Framework was Capcom's Frostbite. We're going to try and make every game we can throughout the PS3 generation on the MT Framework. I'm surprised that it actually was used again because a lot of, uh, a lot of Capcom's games right now are running off of RE Engine. Which is nuts. Which is smart, actually. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's a good thing. So, yeah, that's the first, uh, that's, that's where it is right there. But Dino Crisis, I think, is a really interesting game. The, the only problem I have with Dino Crisis is I, the way they choose to remake it would be really important to me to an extent because it's weird. I don't know if I'd pay $60 for it. Like, I, I love it, but I don't know if that game warrants $60. Like, if they if they re-released it at $40, i would probably hop on yeah, over. Yeah, $40 is always the best price for a re-release. But it depends on how they chose to do it. That's the Give thing. me a Lost Collection, a Lost uh, Planet Collection for 40 That would also be interesting. I, I, I would retry it again if I even had the easy opportunity to play it on PlayStation 4. But uh, I think it's on Games Pass. Probably. I didn't think about that. I, I wouldn't it, be surprised. It's on something that you could easily download. Maybe I, it could be Steam. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel like playing on computer. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Starting off with something in relation to last week's episode here. And, of course, Community Stake is Resident Evil 8 is rumored to support PSVR, much like its predecessor, Resident Evil 7. If true, a first-person viewpoint is almost guaranteed. Uh, you know, that's one of those things that people were talking about. The initial rumor about RE8 Village was that it was going to be uh, Ethan still, the character from 7, and that it was going to play a lot like 7. So... I think that at least the rumors, whether they're true or not, at least all the rumors are trying to back each other up. <laughs> what if uh, what if Resident Evil 8 is revisiting the cult from 4? That's why it's called Village. Maybe. Uh, it's supposed to be set somewhere in England, so I mean, I guess it wouldn't be where, yeah, or Europe, so it wouldn't be impossible. Uh, yeah, so that's where 4 was set. Wasn't, the, wasn't it like the Lost Plagas or something? Pla- uh, yeah, it's there's a family name, too, that I can't ever remember. Then the character, the bad guy names in that game were the most forgettable because they're all, they're all weird. Weird to us, at least, <laughs> over in the States. No, like the little kid's name was weird. Oh, yeah. Like, he was like a 50-year-old guy, a.k.a. Uh, what was his name from uh, Malachi from uh, Children of the Corn? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I Malachi. can't remember that's his name, but you're talking about Anyway, uh, yeah, the thing about this that's interesting is that Resident Evil 8 is presumed to be a PS4 and PS5 title, so I assume that both versions of the game would support... Lord Osmond Sadler. Now you're gonna say that's just weird to us. That's weird to everybody. <laughs> anyway, uh, with PS5 supporting PSVR day one, I guess it could work no problem. I mean, I would be interested to see that if they tried making the PSVR version exclusive to the PS4 version. I don't see why they would though. I mean, I guess you could always play the PS4 version on PS5 with it, but either way. I personally like this move because I still think that Resident Evil 7 is one of the best PSVR experiences. Um, it's really well done. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I expected to see so much horror, so much more horror than we have out of VR. Um, which I'm glad, in a sense, I'm glad that it didn't overly saturate it. But at the same time, I was surprised that we didn't see more big-scale horror games on it. Like Resident, Definitely after Resident Evil 7, I was like, oh man, this sets the stage perfect. I, I thought... Sure, for sure, one hundred percent. That um, Red Barrels, Outlast, uh, Red Barrels, the developer, uh, Outlast would be like the next Outlast afterwards would be VR. Now, maybe not Outlast two because it may have already been in production, though it would have been cool. But for you sure, you can play Outlast two on VR in, on PC. 
Probably with a mod, I'm assuming. I don't think so. The uh, game the game doesn't actually support. What's more funny is that do you remember when Outlast put out the new game that was after Outlast Two? And it was like a multiplayer thing, and it showed people with what looked like VR headsets on their heads, and. Red Barrels had to come out and say this game will not support VR because everybody thought that it was Outlast making the move to VR. Uh, but there's other things like uh, that I don't remember seeing having VR support, like Layers of Fear, uh, a lot of the PT-style games. Because, you know, there, there was a lot of games that came out that were inspired by PT. They were like, oh, we're going to kind of do something similar visually and, and stylistically. And eh. It might be a mod, but... Um, I mean, no reason for it not to be. I used Vorpix VR Injector to play it. Yep. So I guess that's a it's a mod that takes it uh takes it and makes it a VR game. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Outlast games would really make me crap my pants if they were in VR. They were pretty crazy without it. <laughs> you play with a good headset on, you can get into the mood. Uh-huh. Uh huh. All right. Let's see. Next thing up. Uh, scarcely seen since its 2014 Gamescom announcement. PS4 exclusive Wilds developer Wild Sheep Studio recently updated its website with never before seen images of the game. Now, what it is was mostly like concept art and stuff, but it's stuff that whether who knows how old it is, it's stuff that we've not seen until now. Uh, now, before this, the last we heard of the game was a trademark filing for the name uh, back in March of last year. So Sony filed that and. These images being alongside that and the lack of a cancellation announcement, it seems like this game is probably destined for the PS5 now, and it's quickly becoming the next Versus 13 slash The Last Guardian. It's the game that's been known about since the start of the generation, but bleeds into the next generation. But Deep, deep down. Well, but we haven't... We Even deep down is one of those... You're right. That, that's one of those things of... We've seen probably equal about both of these games <laughs> since then. Crazy. Uh, they, it's, why is it always two games? Why is it always like two games that get shown at the beginning of the generation and they refuse to say they're canceled despite the fact that the development has we're to be We're going to take bets, cost. and that's going to be a topic one time, one day. We're now we're getting close to the PS5. We're going to be seeing teasers of games that are coming out in that gym. We're going we're gonna to take two games apiece and, and debate which ones will never come out. Do you know there's still people, and this is a good way to bring this up, because the other way that this game could go is that it just never comes out, like Rockstar's Agent, which was supposed to be a PS3 exclusive that was announced pretty early on in the PS3 era. There are still people that think that Rockstar is going to make Agent and it's still going to be a PlayStation exclusive. And I just, I don't see how you get there. All rights for that would have expired at this point. You can renew it, but I don't think that the trademark has been renewed or anything. So it's, yeah, who knows? (laughs) But yeah, interesting to see. Uh, Do you remember Wild? Yeah. It looks, it looked, I should say, it looked really cool. And I like the idea. But we just haven't seen anything. And if I'm remembering right, ben Michael what? Ansel's the guy behind it, and he's the one who's he Michael was going to be the Ansel. director. And if I'm not mistaken, he's the guy who's involved. He was a creator of Rayman, and he's uh, heavily oh. involved. He was a creator as well, I think, for Beyond Good and Evil. And now he's back with Ubisoft directing. Not, I don't know if he's he could be directing just as a third party, not actually hired under Ubisoft, just contracted. Uh, but he is involved with Beyond Good and Evil too. Another game that was announced so long ago that we still not haven't played yet. We've seen more of it than anything Two else. Two years to be ago, fair. Yeah. So fair. Either way, interesting to see where those things end up. But I hope the game does come because it looks really cool. But at some point, I almost wonder if it would have the same problem as the thing about 15 and The Last Guardians. I feel like 15 was disappointing to what I'd hoped it would be. Well, because I wanted it to be versus 13. But The Last Guardian was every bit as good as I hoped it would have been. I wish I could have played it. 
I mean, you can maybe still... I, yeah, I could probably go back because I was on the original PlayStation Four that I had. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Uh, all right, next thing up, Crisis is making its way to current gen consoles and even surprisingly the Nintendo Switch uh, in the way of Crisis Remastered, while of course still being on PC. Uh, bringing the first game only, sadly it's not all three of them, uh, to the modern consoles with new tech to further press the original, which honestly, if you have a PC, the original still holds up and is still used as somewhat of a benchmark, surprisingly. Uh, The game was given a trailer alongside the announcement, but currently doesn't have a release date. Crytek did clarify that the aim is sometime during summer of this year. Now here's a big question mark on this because I've been looking all week and I haven't been able to find anything. Are the console versions... I could see the PC version being based around the PC version, of course, and just pushing it forward. Are the console versions going to be based off of the PC version as well, which makes the most sense because it's x86 architecture. The least amount of work would have to be to, to move it over. But if they're wanting to not only put Crisis on PS4 and Xbox One, but also improve it, I don't know that that's going to run on the consoles any better so my worry and my fear here is that what they might be trying to do, people don't remember, they brought Crisis to PS3 and Xbox 360 way later, like 2009? Something like that, or yeah. Or 10? And they looked markedly worse. I mean... Those games aren't good. Crisis 2, I loved. I, okay, well, I didn't play Crisis 2. I played Crisis 3 and 1. And yeah. both of them were not good. Yeah, Crisis 2 was awesome, and I liked a lot of the ideas around it. Uh, it no, no way it was like a 10 out of 10 game, but I enjoyed it. The, multi, the multiplayer in Crisis 3 was actually kind of enjoyable, but that was the only redeeming factor for it. I never played Crisis 1. Besides, the, I was at a friend's house and watched him play the beginning, and I was like, ooh, this looks bad. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> uh, it, it not was, to me. It was weird because I always viewed the console Crisis, to me, was always Far Cry 2. And most of what Far Cry 2 actually, did was in, the, it was in the attempt to be what Crisis did. Hey, you want to have destructible walls and destructible plants that you can shoot every little branch off of? That's what Crisis did. We're going to do it in Far Cry 2. That's not a bad comparison. Far Cry tried to be more realistic than Far Cry 3. And Far Cry 3, as much as I love it, still took a lot of that away. Like even the guns jamming and stuff like that. But still, yeah. I'm curious to see. And then the Switch version, I almost wonder, is the Switch version just going to be a port of the PS3 version? <laughs> or are they actually going to try and push the, the original PC release down for Switch? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm kind of curious to see. So if, Crytek, that thing could run PS, if that thing could run Witcher 3, it could probably run Crisis. I'm glad would, you brought up the Witcher 3. I would 3. argue that Witcher 3 is a, is a higher demanding game than Crisis 1 is. From a, from a scope standpoint, for sure. Uh, interesting that you bring that up, though, too. Uh, so for Switch... The normal versions of the game, like the PS4 one and the PC one and the Xbox One version, are all being developed by Crytek. Now, the Switch version is being developed by the same team that did The Witcher 3. Interesting. For Switch. And they did a really good job on that. So, so as good as you could. Yeah. I don't I know mean, if you've seen it. it I mean, it, it works. I've seen it in person. It's not bad. Yeah. I mean, it, for, it a, has, for, yeah. A handheld, for like a handheld Witcher, it doesn't, yeah. you got I mean, temper your expectations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It looks fine for what it is. Yeah. Audio is the biggest thing that takes a hit, but when you have so much audio in a game like that. I, see, I, I can't say anything about the audio. Yeah. I can't say that was good or bad. It's super compressed because it had to be. <laughs> so kind of like Dark Souls 3 or Dark Souls 1 remastered then. Probably. Because the audio in that's pretty compressed. Yeah. That's a big problem with when you bring full size console games over to the Switch. That's the biggest problem they face is any game with a good bit of dialogue, you're going to face huge amounts of I'm compression. I'm surprised that they that, that team worked so well on the port that they didn't compress the audio. 
correctly or they didn't fix the audio i should say i think it was compressed as much as it had to be to fit and there's just you're going to have compression artifacts that that many tracks and songs and background sounds and static sounds and all kinds of stuff yeah but even more than that man a lot of it's dialogue dialogue sounds weird and tinny and kind of oddly filtered because it's been compressed massively you know when you do a heavy compression you get artifacts on it and that's it sucks but that's just part of it um, all right, let's see. Next thing up, this last week, Sony started the Play at Home initiative, which gives free games to all players in an effort to motivate them to stay home and stay safe amid the virus. The first two games are Uncharted, the Nathan Drake collection, and Journey, which I guess technically are four games, but whatever, <laughs> and are available now through May 5th. Uh, it's currently unknown how many runs of this we will get and whether new games will be re- rotated in after the May 5th date. Uh, but it's nice move to see Sony doing this when there's a lot of companies doing this. I don't know if you've seen um, EA was giving free copies of Star Wars, uh, the new Star Wars game out, Star Wars Fallen Order or whatever, Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, now, they were doing it, of course, a little differently. It wasn't just like everybody could download it. They were just taking like 20 codes and posting them on social media. First come. I wonder if they first fixed that serve. game from when I played it. I don't know. I can't tell you. I need to look into that. But I enjoyed it, and I didn't have problems. I still, so. I still own that game and paid $60 for it. Sad times. I kind of liked what it was doing, except for one part of it. Yeah, so anyway, I, I think that's cool. And I I personally think we'll see at least one more run of this. Uh, I find it interesting that both of them are Sony games. And I wonder if it's going to be Sony games all the way through. Or if they'll actually get a third party to wrangle and let them put it on there as well. But if nothing else, I think both of those games, if for some reason you didn't own them, are really cool. And you don't have to be a PS Plus subscriber to get them. Uh, and even more importantly, uh, there are actually a lot of people saying that even if you've had both of these games through PS Plus in the past, you can go through and, you know, normally if you have a game through PS Plus, you can't buy it again. Well, yeah, and if your PS Plus expires, then you can't play it. Yeah. But this is now marked as owned in your library, so you can. So, yeah, this one's interesting. Even if you have it through PS Plus, you can go through, get both of these games, and redeem them. And whenever you look at the license now... It, it considers its purchase license. Yeah, there's no more expiration date, yeah. which is cool. Uh, I like that. So, so I just Googled... First, I just typed in, I said Jedi Order Fall... Or Jedi Fall Order Fixes. So then it said, people also ask, is Jedi Fall Order Fixed? And it says, a nifty but unintentional power has been nerfed out of Jedi Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order with the game's latest, uh, latest patch. That's right, you can no longer destroy rockets using the game's photo mode. <laughs> what is that game? What kind of power do you have? I love it. It's, it's a Metaforce thing. <laughs> I guess so. What in the world? Alright, next thing up... Um... And actually, I'm going to save this one to run off in the last one because it's a little bit longer, more long-winded. So next up, Nier has a 10-hour live stream coming up on uh, April 22nd, which is actually the exact 10-year anniversary of the original game's release. After showcasing some of the mobile title, uh, which is Nier Reincarnation this week, it wasn't very long. It was a very short thing. I was surprised to see I don't know if you watched the video. Mm-mm. It's a fully 3D game. On on mobile, yeah, most mobile most mobile phones nowadays, flagships can handle. That. Oh, they can handle it. I'm just surprised they chose to go that route because I expected to still have some genre hopping, but they would to make it easier and be a little bit more stylish. That they would probably do it 2D and then occasionally flip between like beat 'em up, shoot 'em up things. I'm like sure that. they'll still do that. Oh, I think they will too. But I was surprised to see the 3D element added, just because in a weird way, I was kind of excited to play a fully not okay, not a fully, but majority 2D near game. In my mind, I had hoped that this was going to be like a near Metroidvania. <laughs> I don't know why, but I like the sound of that. 
Huh. So, um, but who knows? It would be kind of cool. With actually, this, they might well be showing off some gameplay for the near replicant remaster. And I have a hard time calling it the remaster because even Square won't call it a remaster. When's that coming out again? May. No release date currently, but it's aiming for this year. They just they're being that coy needs to on go saying ahead and it. Come out so that um, I can play that next. But you know, I I don't. We're gonna have to try and figure out the way to call this because Square just keeps calling it a new version. Like it's it technically it is a remaster. They're doing things that you'd expect with a remaster, but they're changing content, adding new content. Re- Rear replicant remaster hash or, or backslash 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 remake. Well, there's a lot of stuff because think about it this way: they're gonna have to completely voice the Japanese uh, protagonist for the first time. Oh, speaking of remakes. There's something cool about Final Fantasy i got to share with you after this. Okay. Something I realized. Try and remember it. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> but yeah, I've, from the get-go, I've been wondering what they're going to do. Because if they have to revoice, uh, if they, they have to revoice Nier for the, for the U.S. for Brother Nier instead of the Daddy Nier's voice, what do they do? Yeah. That, it gets weird because mm. do they, do they, at that point, do they revoice everyone? And I hope not. But if they're adding new content and potentially a new ending like they talked about, can they actually get like Laura Bailey to come back in and voice Kaine long enough to add? I didn't know Laura Bailey voiced Kaine. Yep, and I love it because it's the most foul-mouthed you've ever seen her. <laughs> I, I won't say because we try to keep the show family-friendly, but there's something that's so great about the opening title screen of Nier because it's just a black screen, and all of a sudden all you hear is, uh, Vice, GD, Get your head out of your... <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it's mentioning... it. It's, it's eventually just playing audio from later in the game, but it's really great to see a title screen do that out of nowhere. And it, it's just funny to me. But I'm, I'm really excited to see... Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm so great to see Nier getting some kind of the attention that it, I felt like it always deserved because now everybody else feels like it deserves that attention. <laughs> yeah. I really I always want to play it too. I'm so excited for you to try and play the original, man. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have to talk about it in depth once you get it going. Like right. we did after Nier 2. Yes. <laughs> Electric <Nier> two. Boogaloo. <laughs> All right, next thing up, PS4 firmware 7.50 is available to download this week, bringing more improvements to system performance. Uh, they, they long ago said bye-bye to that sweet, sweet system stability. And I'm sad because that was the fun running joke of the show. But who knows? I need that sweet system stability back, so I don't have to reload databases every time I wake up my PS4. <laughs> Uh yeah, that's a good point. Did they did this problem come after you updated the seven point fifty? I'm on the beta. Well the the actual seven point fifty is out now, so Oh, is it? No. Well when did seven point five come out? This week. But when? Wednesday? Something like that? Tuesday maybe? No, because I want to say this has been happening since like it's been happening for a few days, and I wanna say it actually started around Monday or Tuesday. I don't know. Good question. Uh, anyway, uh, of course, beside the uh, system performance, the only other small change that it did bring was something that was actually discovered in the beta period, and that is an HDCP update that brings in a new HDMI standard, which should help with compatibility with newer technology and changing around some of the things that certain users may have experienced. It's going to be a small percentage of people that probably were experiencing these problems but it does help the uh, update weighs in at 471 megabytes which is surprisingly large for system stability and an hdmi change but yeah. you know whatever is what it is uh, and it is required for online play so if you want to play online you have to do it uh it's interesting I- i've always loved that they let certain updates play online regardless of whether you choose to update but when they make them mandatory like this, it almost makes me wonder if this was in a move because there are people who are getting closer and closer to more and more easily jailbreaking PS4s. Yeah. 
I could see that. Anytime there's a mandatory update that doesn't have like some huge quality of life feature, I'm always like, ah, someone's getting closer to hacking the PlayStation. Like really, because of course you can already hack it, but how much easier can you get it out? It's kind of like once they give up on it, people will find ways to do it amazingly. Just like with Vita, they slowed down Vita updates and people started finding quick and easy ways to mod it. PSP went from being a really complicated process with the Pandora battery to by the time that like now, if you want to do it, you don't even have to hard mod the system. You just put in a memory card and you do something called chicken and it's only modded until you power it off. And it's just, it's amazing how much, how, how far and how easy modders can eventually make things yeah. once Sony stops updating it to create out, some kind of a barrier. PS5, you'll be able to hack it by plugging in the DualSense after you load on some stuff to that. Who knows? Oh, man. You just made me think about something I'm a little, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm worried about, but I always hate when it happens on Xbox. It's rare, to be fair. But oh, early controller days, updates? controller updates. No. The main thing that pissed me off is I was like, I don't notice anything different. So why did you just spend 15 minutes updating this controller? I don't know why your controller just took 15 minutes. Mine was like four. But that still, was back when my Wi-Fi was back here. And oh, we had yeah. the Xbox in the front. So it had really bad Wi-Fi. <laughs> but it was just a point of contention of why are you updating my controller? And I see, I feel and see no difference. So I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, this is kind of cool. The controllers are so advanced. They require updates. And then by like, the third time, I was like, okay, this is kind of stupid. <laughs> So I hope that the DualSense doesn't have it unless it actually makes a market change. Maybe. Which, you know, I kind of think it might need it because, you know, with the haptics and stuff, they may update the way that the haptics end up working and they may update the way the actuators end up working for the trigger tension. I, don't, I can see Joy-Cons this. don't have to update. And despite the fact that you don't like calling it, but Joy-Cons have haptic. So. Oh, yeah, that's fine. But what I mean is like, but even like the trigger tension, they may update it to now, where... Now, that could be a thing. Yeah, where it has less or more tension yeah, the based off of... Yeah, uh, uh, like up to triggering the tension. Hopefully that's something that's already there and it's just a sensitivity bar that you can adjust yourself. Maybe but so. I could see there being controller updates for it, and I hope not. A uh, couple more things before we get to the last bit. Supermassive Games, the Dark Pictures Anthology, gets its next release, Little Hope, which was previewed uh, or teased, I guess, maybe, earlier this year. The game has a new trailer now, though, uh, that dropped with a summer 2020 release window given at the end. So, uh, yeah, it looks like they're going to have at least once a year a Dark Pictures Anthology thing. I'm a little surprised, though. I wonder how long that will go because Man of Madon was not... Didn't perform well. It was not the critical uh, darling that Until Dawn was. Yeah, the performance was bad. So, And I think a lot of people wanted that. So, eh, who knows? Um, all right, last two things are pretty interesting. And saw this next one's really weird. I don't, yeah, not, this, so, this next one's stupid. Sony is no stranger to lots of varied and interesting patents, as we've covered on the show plenty of times, uh, even if many of those don't see the light of day. Uh, so a new patent filed by Sony, and actually it was originally filed back in 2018, but it's only just now appearing uh, this past week on the U.S. Patents and Trademarks site. But the patent filed by Sony details a quote feeling deduction robot that would be designed to act as a companion for gamers. So using photographic and audio audio data, the robot or potentially the, uh, it goes on to say potentially maybe even a virtual reality companion would respond accordingly to your emotions using movement, sound, and even speech. The patent goes on to say in order to quote, in order to construct a good relationship with other people, it is said that a joint viewing experience in which people see the same thing is effective instead of a face-to-face relationship. It is known that by seeing the same thing at the same place and empathizing with each other, the distance to the other people is shortened and 
infinity with other people is increased. It looks like, and that's in the end of that quote, it looks like this patent is aiming to bring that principle, and it's really the possibility of bringing that principle, since this may never see the light of day, to gaming. So I find that weird. I find it stupid. I don't know that I'd say it's stupid. I think that there's really, really... It's so need. It's, it's so it, useless. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say useless, because I think it's useless to me and you. I think it's useless to anybody. I think that there are people that can play games that may have certain disabilities that something like this would help them with. It's something that I clearly I won't know enough about, but there are certain people that do have mental problems that lead to different emotional needs and people who have certain forms of depression. They were even talking about through this that they want to let this go even outside of gaming. They want to let this be something that certain people may need. And I'm not saying that I know the need is there. This will never see the light of day. I don't think it will either. Because here's the problem with, I, with, with what you just listed as being the people who would need it most mm-hmm. is, is if it messed up on that. Oh yeah. The, You're going to hear negative... somebody killing themselves because of like this AI thing that needs photographic recognition. You're telling me I got to take pictures and video myself <laughs> for this AI bot to understand. No. And that's some, that's weird stuff too. I'm done. It's uh, like that whole, do you remember back way back when, which this may be a more pos- a new possibility with the micro or with the, uh, the AI helper, there was a patent file that you'd be able yes. to say, like, hey, Sony, I, I need help beating this boss. Can you can you get, pull up a walkthrough or a video? Yes. Mic in the controller. Yeah. That might be, like, that might could have confirmed that that could be a thing. Yeah. I doubt it. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, now, it was also supposed to bring stuff up on your phone, so I'm assuming it would use it would utilize the PlayStation app to, you say or, that, or and I could just, just use, hey, Google, how do over? I beat Champion Gundyr? Maybe. But I think it's that they want it to be 100% like, something that's made with real pictures and things that you'd see that is That'll, the same every time. Yeah. Because that, I think that, the thing that happens online that's on is the that, dark souls wiki that I can go, go to no matter what easier, yeah, that's easier. True. That, maybe I, that would be more interesting. I've actually done that before building something in that would just let, that would bring up the wikis. Like it, it would be built into the console and everything, that's but just, it would just such a bring waste up of the, console, like console space and time. Uh, I've done that before though. I was playing dark souls three and I, and I, I said, Hey Google, how do I get the cat ring? And like it actually pulled up, like the like because I have a Google Mini speaker on my desk. They actually said like to get the cat ring, you need to complete the quest line for Sirius. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. But it said <laughs> according to Dark Souls Yeah. So I've already used that kind of feature in my life, and, and it's not it's not having to be having system uh, resources taken away to use it. That's fair. I think that's real fair. Uh, one of the things they talked about this though, just to go through their viewpoint again. I don't know that it's necessary or. It's kind of odd in a lot of ways. Saul's uh, Olympic stretching for his run after this. Um, uh, but they were talking about having it be something that would help people with certain lifestyle problems. Well, I'll say shouldn't say problems, but certain lifestyle habits where they see themselves going in. So, like, it would watch TV with them and that they might have more enjoyment watching the show with something rather than alone. Again, that's why I think it's aiming at, if it ever were, were to materialize, it's trying to aim at a specific group of people. Um and then the other thing is that, like, for people that have somewhat have a tendency, it would notice when you're doing things that are going to be like you're staying up way too late, and like you're giving your, you're actually putting yourself into weird things. So it would notice that you should have already been asleep by now, and it would suggest like, hey, maybe it's a good maybe it's a good idea to go to bed. I can Again, tell you right now, anybody with depression is not going to care me. enough to do all that. I, I don't know. I mean, I genuinely don't know. I was, it's such a weird use that I find it like, huh. It has. It would not be something that I would need because, I mean, anytime I've ever been in my deep depressions, yeah, where I don't feel like doing anything, I don't feel like talking to an AI robot. Sure, but there's and that comes down to your tr- and I am too. 
I try and think about the times where I consider myself to be pretty depressed, which is thankfully not very often, and I'm, I am thankful of that. But yeah. it makes me wonder, there, you know, there are multiple layers and types and all different things of depression. I'm trying to think of it, too. Like, you know, would that really help me? I don't think so. Well, I mean, but but I is- wonder... I'm not. And I'm not saying I, anybody's wrong, but I wonder: Are there people out there that experience pr- depression to such an extent that they would be willing to, to try this as just a, an option? I don't know, and I, I mean, don't even know if that's so, who it's aimed at. I'm so, just trying to think of when you're looking at what they're saying. It's like people who have destructive habits of staying up way too late and letting things slip through the cracks. And that stuff. ain't destructive. I don't know. I, it makes me wonder who the target audience is for this, because so, like. Kids, it, it doesn't. You, you first thought of a robot would be kids, right? But kids normally should, should they don't always, but they should have a parent that can help with most of these things. I, I guess this could be an additive thing, but I don't know. It is, it's a weird patent. So like, I genuinely let's, let's, don't know. Let's say that even if you are a person that when they get depressed, they feel like talking it through with people. Yeah, I guarantee you, an AI robot made by Sony on your PlayStation is not going to be the thing to do that for. If there's Google, there's Siri. Yeah, sure. That already beat that. There's that already. Have, can you actually? Talk to Google and Siri about that stuff. You I mean, I really on, didn't know. You can, I'm sure you can carry on. I know you can carry on conversations with Google. I don't know about Siri, but I'm pretty sure like you can actually carry on and say, "Hey Google, I'm depressed," and like actually get a. Actually, let's just test on the show right now. Let's see. Let's see. Hey, what, go for it. Let, I, this is something I genuinely was un, uh, unaware of. If so, that's a good use hey, of Google the assistant. I'm depressed. Do you want to talk to me? I'm sorry to hear that. That's all she said. <laughs> Hmm. That was a little... I mean, I guess at least she had a little bit. Hey, I don't really feel that good. Can you make me feel better? Here's what I found on the web. There's an actual song. <laughs> oh, feel better. Yeah. To be fair, you were vague with that one. Yeah. Maybe you could be like, hey, I'm feeling depressed. But I think there is you a, cheer me up. I think there is a way, maybe it's through the actual Google app, that you can actually carry on a conversation with Google. And I think that's why people like Google's AI more than Siri's, because Siri has a conversation, an actual conversation flow. Or Siri is just answer, like like that was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you access that, though. Or maybe you have to have a Google phone to do so. I don't know. But That's, uh, a, that's a good one, because, yeah, the Pixel 4 did have a new assistant I, built in. I, I just think this is kind of silly. Okay, so here's, here's my thing about some of the ideas in this. Some of them, most of them, no. But some of the ideas in this have made my mind think about more useful things, at least in terms of if this ever comes and has a use for somebody that I just can't tell right now. Cool, whatever. But for a more general purpose too, where you can use some of these ideas to affect a larger group of your of your um, business, is or your your whatever your um, consumers, is to do something like. To me, if you can look at this and say, okay, this is an AI that can look at stuff and learn stuff with you, I would much prefer, and this is something some games have kind of tried to do in a uh, slightly different way, but I'd like to see it on a system wide thing. Not even that I would use it a lot, but I think it would be interesting and it may change the way we view AI in games, uh, is to have a system-wide AI that its only goal is to look at your play styles and how you play and essentially build an AI that will go against you as wherever you want, like in a racing game. Uh, you'll, you'll, it'll always be the same AI, and then say it'll race you. It learns your habits for racing, and it constructs a plan of the best way to counteract your plans. Then you would never so that win, because you're well, up no, against no, no. computer learning. No, this, that's what I mean. This is for specifically practice. So it wouldn't be like for everyday game thing, but it would be for you to take into a thing. So like, say you're playing Gran Turismo, and you realize that, hey, you know, I'm doing pretty well in this area, but one of the areas that always overtakes me is if a person does this. Well, it's something that looks at all your strengths, goes to your negatives, and you can go into a thing with just it and erase it, and you can slowly get yourself over what your negatives are and learn how to already use the strengths that you have 
but then take it your weaknesses and use those. And then you can carry that through to a lot of games. This will never Say, be a thing. I don't think it will either, but at, at least within racing games, it's, it's actually a good example. Forza looks at and will throw in the names of people who are on your friends list. Yeah. And if they've played the game, it will actually construct a profile based off of the way they race, and the AI will be based at least in part off of them. I like that idea because I noticed when I was playing it, the few people that I had that had played the game – that AI always did better than everyone else. And it actually was the only thing that was close to getting to a challenge. Blake was playing with me, or Blake played with me, and then no, afterwards I noticed that his was there, and it like learned some of his things. And I was like, oh, he's doing better than everyone else. Some people don't know this, but like in Pokemon Emerald, if you mm-hmm. played against a buddy at any given time, and then you went to the Battle Frontier, they construct an AI version of your buddy and his team. That's cool. I didn't know that either. So, yeah. I never played Emerald. Yeah, it was, it, was either, it was either Emerald or it was Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green. But I'm pretty, it was one of those two. Yeah, but I, I thought that was cool. And having an AI that would move through every game and kind of learn, it'd be te- and it would be kind of fun just to have it always be the same AI. Like, even if it has a dumb name, like Steve, and you're like, I'm going to get that boy Steve. I'm going to teach him a lesson. PlayStation Paul. <laughs> It's a, it's a, hey Google, PlayStation Paul. Because like it'd be funny like you beat like let's say PlayStation Paul. You beat PlayStation Paul in Gran Turismo finally after you've been working forever. But say you want to hop on with your friends and play Call of Duty. You notice you're not doing very good at one thing. You're too aggressive in one area. So you go, I'm gonna play with PlayStation Paul, who's built the perfect enemy to teach me how to combat that enemy. And if you choose to, again, if you choose to, you can tap into this thing and get better at games. It'd be like a cool competitive So you're saying assistant. that if I suck at Call of Duty, I can get DualSense Dan to come over there and show me how it's done? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> to be, me, be, I just be, think be, that that would be... Call of Duty, DualSense Dick. I think that would be more interesting than... I, it would be like I, the evolution of the Forza thing. I like the idea of using human-made AI because humans are so much more erratic than actual programmed AI will ever be. So the only, there's two ways for you to, uh, to achieve that. Either create your AI and like racing games based off of multiple playthroughs where you let one of the AIs in the game be one person who play tested this game and you actually took their inputs and built the AI off of that. Or you can go in and make an AI profile and you did multiples of those so that every time you raced, everybody had multiple sets of data they could pull from that would race like this one individual person. That takes a lot of time and effort, but if you could do it to where instead you're going, okay, we're going to sit there and build a profile based off of your biggest strengths and weaknesses. And whenever you choose to do so, you can go in and, and face it and try and get better. I think I might actually use that in a game like Gran Turismo or something I was trying to be legitimately competitive in. I think I could see myself doing that. Definitely, say you're playing Call of Duty, right? None of your friends are on. And you're kind of like, well, you know, none of my friends are on. There's no reason for me to be playing against other people on a normal bout when I may not even face people. Cause like I know I've done it where you've been playing call of duty by yourself and you just get into the right lobby for you and you murder mm-hmm. and it's fun, but it's also like, I only, I know that I murdered because it either put me with people who are less skilled or people who just, I happen to have a strength that really combats their weakness. When you could also go, Hey, you know what? None of my friends are playing anyway. How about I just get on, play him real quick, try and get better at the things I'm bad at. So that next time I play with our friends, we have a stronger squad or whatever. I could see it. At least like back when we were playing Call of Duty a lot, there'd be times where I'd play on my own and I'd be like, ah, I kind of I hate that I'm in a group where I'm constantly winning because it feels good, but it also feels like the moment I get back on with y'all and we get with a good team, I'm not going to do as good as I thought I should be doing based off of this I previous just feels like, uh, nah, I don't like the idea of any of it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> just seems, it just seems like it will never work properly. I don't know if either of them would ever happen, to be I, fair. I, I mean, that, that's the whole thing, too. Is I don't yeah. think either one of these is going to happen. I just think it's a more interesting use of trying to do something with AI than create a weird 
robot thing. I don't know. Like I guess it I is still, a weird robot thing, though. <laughs> it is a weird robot thing. And I, I think more importantly, I would be much more comfortable if, if I'm being honest. I would be much more comfortable with a VR companion. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing it because I have to take pictures of myself and video myself in order to get it to know me. No. Well, the VR already looks at you. I mean, you know, if you if you think about it, it doesn't look at my face. The camera is already the camera's there. I don't have tape over my camera, so if they wanted to, anything I do in front of my PlayStation camera, if they wanted to, they can see. That's a weird privacy thing, and I'm glad that it's in a game room that's dedicated and not like my living room. So as long as long as like but, that camera can look at me in Final Fantasy VII Remake Two, Jesse can step on my throat a little bit. <laughs> <sighs> okay, all the bays, all of them. That, all right. Um, sad. Last thing up on the list here is actually a report that I'm sure a lot of you have at least seen mentioned here and there in some news articles. Uh, Bloomberg reported that Sony's plans for PS5 are a little different than many may have thought. The report states that Sony will produce far fewer PS5 units for launch compared to the total it had for PS4's release. So the number here is about five to six million is what they're aiming for. Uh, this is apparently due to the higher cost of the machine than the PS4, which a lot of people, definitely developers who are working it right now, are thinking will seemingly be $499 to $549. I expect it will be $499 and potentially $450 if they want to take a little bit of a loss. That's what I'm thinking, the more that we see this. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the $500. Yeah, I, I, I truly think it will be $500, but if not $500, I don't think it'll go over. If anything, if it's not $500, it'll go under by $50 and take a little bit of a loss just so they can move units. So, if it was six, so they're making 6 million units and it's $500. 6 million times 500 is going to be what, $300 million? In that ballpark, yeah. I mean, because I, and it depends on what the actual cost and stuff is. Uh, but one of the big things here that's interesting to, to note is that the price is what they think will slow adoption. So that's why I'm leaning more towards four ninety nine because a hundred dollars for people is a lot. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I, I don't think that I think that slowing ad, adoption like that's going to be a thing no matter what. I think so as well. So, but that price they think it'll slow adoption in comparison to the PS4. It's also stated in the report that the virus did did affect the promotional plans of the device, but reiterates that it has not affected production capacity as of yet, but that could change still because mass production starts in June for the uh, console as of now. So one of the things uh, here is that, and this goes in with all this, it's lastly claimed that on Jim Ryan's wishes, that for the first time ever, Sony is aiming to release its new console simultaneously worldwide. Now, a lot of this is weird. Going worldwide simultaneously with less production units than you would normally do at a higher price point. All this is kind of weird. It makes me wonder, and the big reason I'm even curious about all this is, do you remember, it was either late last year or early this year, um, when PlayStation and Jim Ryan, I think specifically, was the one who said it, said that they had aimed to move users from PS4 to PS5 at an unprecedented rate. This is it. This, this is was slower. It's slower, not faster, like people it's thought. A, it's unprecedented in the opposite way. Yeah. What I think really happened is that because of the virus hitting how it did and how hard it did and the economic impact that's going to be there, I think they're doing what any smart company should do, and they're projecting lower because best-case scenario, they're closer to their projections. Or worst case scenario, they're close to the projections, which is actually not bad. Because if you let your stockholders know, like, hey, with everything going on, this is what we actually think we're going to get, and it hits close to that, everybody's like, good to know. Everybody projected the right thing. But best case scenario, it does better than projections would otherwise say. So I think that this, I think their plans were originally to try and, with a good economy, try and move people to PS5 very quickly. And I think now the Senate still holds because it is unprecedented rate. 
But yeah. I think it's just going to be the opposite effect. I think that there is a little white lie in this, though. What do you mean? Supposedly, it's not affected production at all, but they're limiting units. Well, and see, that goes to BN. And I agree that it's weird, but considering that production hasn't even started yet, Right, and it was apparently has always been set for June, which that's something I'm actually ignorant on. I don't know how early consoles typically go into production. Yeah, I don't either. But still, it's it's they made that statement though, and then they're contradicting it in a way by saying that there's only a limited of six million. Think about it. How many do you think we're gonna get? I don't know. Because Japan's gonna get at least half, right? Probably not. Two million. Japan's pretty small. I mean, you think how long it took for Japan to get to one million PlayStation Four sold. Was it a lot? It took a while. It took almost a year, I think. Did it really? Or six or seven months. Been... It sold a million in America, I think, day one. Yeah. Like night one. And I think Xbox did as well. But Japan's, just, Japan's a lot smaller population than people think. It's just more dense. And it's, it's more dense. So I don't know. I think let's just say, let's give Japan a lot. Let's just say Japan gets a million of them. Mm-hmm. It's five million for the rest of the worldwide. That's not enough. I don't. I, how do they even? That to me means that they expect interest for day one purchase to be either lesser or that they can't make anymore. Like you say, that's, whether it's a white lie or not, it's hard to say. Do you think a hundred dollars more than the PlayStation Four is really going to be a driving factor to get people to go? I hold on to the PlayStation not Four. For, not for or, people who buy consoles a day one. It's not. Or is it more because there's more third party and first party support still going on with consoles? Well, it's backwards compatible. Yeah, sure. And that, that's again, you have a lot of things that alleviate that. Look, look at both sides. It either could be because production is going to be impacted or they anticipate that it will be impacted. Either way, maybe it already has been and it wasn't originally planned for June, but now it is. Yeah. Or even if it starts in June, if coronavirus keeps going bad, then it does delay it. Who knows? I think I honestly think they said June because June's a safe month to say that that's when they start production. Because as of right now, May 1st is what people are thinking is going to be the, uh, the opening back up of the economy, which I think oh, is yeah. a terrible idea. Um, we're still. Hey, in, I don't know enough about it. So I, yeah, I don't know. No, we're still in the midst of. Well, a for, for the right economy, now. who knows? I, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know what. No, I think it's a terrible idea. In general, like, in what's general going on? Sense, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think that when you think about it, day just day one, one million units in the United States sold PS4s. Mm-hmm. Just day one, day two, three, four, five, six, seven. The first week, way more than six million units. I guarantee it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, really, I, I, it, it's it is weird, and that doesn't account for Europe at all. I don't know if Europe hit one million sales day one or not. I don't. I don't recall. Um, it's it's weird. Um, just in just in UK, um, Europeans three hundred twenty five thousand. Three hundred twenty five thousand for Europe in general. Yep. Day one. Japanese gamers bought three hundred seventy thousand. Okay. So we're already getting into crazy numbers here, and we're already one sixth of our way through. And actually, I wonder if I'm actually wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe it was worldwide 1 million PS4 sold on first day. Maybe so. That might have been it. But you, you, well, it wasn't worldwide. Because the thing about it is uh, if it sold PS4's day one, it actually released in North America first for the first time ever. Well, Sony... It, so it, it would have had to have been America hit a million units. That, that's a 1 million PS4's were sold on first day in, according to Sony, but it doesn't say where. Yep, look. I, I, yeah, I, I was. I did remember correctly. So Andrew House mentioned that uh, North America is where they hit one million sales day one, uh, and that they were looking forward for that enthusiasm to hold as they launch in Europe and Latin America on November 29th, which was like three weeks later, and it didn't come to Japan until the beginning of 2014. So in just August of 2014, the PS4 sold 10 million units. Mm-hmm. Just one month. Yeah. But day one's always weird. So I don't know. This is one of those things where 
I could see this being. Oh wait, no, 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 no. This this chart's just stupid. Well, you it know what? Sold else? up. 10, it sold 10 it million. It got to 10 million. Yeah. Okay, I'm about to say that was, that's crazy. Because if that's the was, case, and that means we sold 100 million units in September of this year. Yeah. Um, so my thing here is that the one thing that we should know is that this is a report. It does not mean that these are actually Sony's words. This is information that Bloomberg got from somebody who could be or could not be reliable. We don't know. Yeah. But the other side of this is I think there's two ways to look at it. Like Saul said, there is that Sony is using this and kind of doing little white lies within this. Or Sony really does expect the economic impact to be so bad that people are literally going to hold on to their PS4s longer because there are still big games. There are still big third-party games coming like Cyberpunk. I don't remember the end of PS3 and 360 having near the amount of huge games hitting it didn't. as this does that were not your normal annual releases like Assassin's Creed, Battlefield, yeah, yeah, it, or Call it, of Duty. It, it really didn't. Um... So in that sense, I think that there's enough stuff here to... I think both sides have uh, the ability to be very true. I think it could. I, I think that both of them are probably true to some extent, but how much Sony's letting on is left to be discovered there. So yeah, like I'm not necessarily sure yet that we're going to get a delay, um, and that could be the community's take. Do you think the PS5 will be delayed? Um, yeah, uh, and with that, do you are you planning on currently? Because I kind of want to gauge across the people that we know. Are you currently planning on getting a PlayStation Five day one? Now we've done that one before. And watch our six million listeners say yes. Then there's a real <laughs> conundrum in the world. But I, I know we've done that before a few months back. I think it was very beginning of this year or very late last year, um, and we kind of got mixed. But I wonder with more and more stuff being shown if that's changed at all. Yeah, uh, I, and with the expectation of if it's going, I wonder if more people are actually not expecting to get it day one because they don't know if it's even coming. Are more people backing off of? Uh, committing to a day one purchase because they don't want to get their hypes up and their hope or their hopes up and get hyped just for them to not even be able to get it because there's not enough units. Well, I'll tell you right now, like I'm know. not the one to play the pre-order game. And that means like I'm sitting there on Amazon clicking refresh or whatever until oh, something yeah. becomes pre-orderable. Uh, and I won't be doing that for any console at all. I, I refuse to kind of go into that mindset. But uh, if, if the six million units means people are going to be doing that and pre-orders are going to be going on and then eventually getting canceled, yeah. I'm not going to be doing all that crap. I'm just going to wait till it hits the shelves. Now, if I can go to Amazon and say, hey, there's a PS5 right here pre-order, and I can I could reliably just click it and be done, I don't care. But I'm not re- refreshing a website, at, just like people do for like Amiibos and all that dumb stuff like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that mindset. And you know, right now we haven't heard Microsoft say anything about numbers. I wonder if Microsoft commits to doing more. Like, let's say Microsoft's like, we're going to build 10 million. And, I, and this is going to sound bad. <laughs> I don't mean it in this bad way. But I think if, if Xbox were smart, uh, I, I don't even think that if I were Xbox, given the numbers that they've sold this gen, I don't even know if I would make five to six billion day one, personally speaking, if I'm just being honest. We got to think about it. Say, but say, if they chose to, if they chose to say, hey, day one, we're going to we're going to launch worldwide for the first time ever. Uh, and we're going to do it where day one, we've made 10 million units in expectation for this. Would that make people who are originally going to get a PlayStation 5 go to Xbox? I don't it know. Would, it would make casual people who just want to see the new 4K technology and gaming and, and like, think about it. you go to Walmart and you have oh well PS4 only had or PS5 only had six million. Walmart's display doesn't have anything, but Xboxes are right there. Yeah, so you're gonna grab an Xbox. So yeah, like I could yeah. see that a casual person getting that instead. Yeah, especially with both systems having nothing but our back or all backwards compatibility. Yeah, yeah. Do you personally agree though that I mean that's a that's a question of curiosity. Given Xbox's numbers, I think any business that understands where they're at currently, Xbox One is roughly forty million cop 40 something mid 40 millions units sold 
if I were them, and that's been across seven years that I've sold forty million, there's no way in hell that day one I would be like, let's make ten million. But it, it is I a gambit that Microsoft could technically afford. Ten million is the number there for them, I think, because you have to think about it. Like you just said, they can't afford that, and that's more units than PlayStation. So they do it. They may actually edge out those casual people who, mm-hmm. who see that instead of PlayStation Five. And it's releasing around the same time as Black Friday, now, where people the, plan on spending money just to spend money anyways. Now, here's the one downside of that, though, right? Mm-hmm. You have with that, if Microsoft were to go way over and say, "Hey, we're going to we're going to dedicate to making 10 million," and if they do that, and coronavirus doesn't slow production at all, and so they can, and let's say Sony's thing is true, it's just price related. If Microsoft is at the same price or even higher, but they dedicate to 10 million, there's two things there. You have that side of them going, "Well, hey, if we go ahead and make 10 million, it's not like we can't sell them later." Right, yeah. it's like even if we make ten million now, we can continue to sell them through. If they don't sell out, we just have warehouses full of them ready to go. Bam, yeah, which I, I, I kind of think is the mindset, anyways. Downside but. to this, though, of course, is that the more units you make day one, mm-hmm. if Xbox or PlayStation, I mean this on both sides, if Xbox or PlayStation were to either way have something that was similar to the Red Ring of Death, making ten million units day one that you're going to have to eventually tear apart and replace if there is a massive problem, yeah, is a little scary. I will say though, even so that, that's what makes it more of a gambit for any company. I will say though. But when you think about it, having those systems sitting in a warehouse where they could easily just collect them instead of being sold to consumers, where at least it's better. Yeah, they have to rely (laughs) on mailing them back. Yeah, that's also something that always makes me kind of sketchy about a uh, day one console purchase. Is that I'm kind of glad I couldn't get the Switch for the first two months or whatever because Mm -hmm. there was no real large problems that on launch with Switch like there was with the PS. The what was the PS3? Was it the microwave thing it did? The PS3 didn't have any problems until years later when it had the yellow light of death. And that, it, was a, it, it, it beeps like a microwave, didn't it? I don't remember that, that. I never had it happen. I remember it some, wasn't near as big of a problem as the Red Ring. No, thankfully. but they were, but they were both yeah. they were both known. Yeah, by the time um, that they finally, I think it was like three years in that PlayStations really started hitting. I mean, yeah. it was their failure thing, but it wasn't like you know the Red Ring of Death became the Red Ring of Death because of the. the well, they, it was well, like it was like the Black Plague of Xbox. Yeah, what I mean <laughs> though is that like there was there was both there was two things that could happen to these consoles on a whim that would kill them. Yes, yeah, those, those were the that was the thing uh, is the yellow light of death and then the Red Ring. And of thankfully, death. there's nothing been like that for this generation. It has no, there. not really. So, and that's the thing. I mean, do I think it's going to happen? No, I think that. that the divisive tower design of the Xbox uh, Series X, I think, is with the intent of knowing that there'll be no problems. Is it kind of weird and unconventional? Sure. But some people are going to undoubtedly like it. Some people won't. But if it means that there's less chances for overheating or any problems they won, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of get why Xbox did it. Maybe that's another way of the one lesson I expected uh, Xbox to learn through the 360 gen going in, and then it seems that they have is how to make a good console that you don't have those kind of problems with yeah. because it costs a lot of money. And if you don't have the money to do anything about it, like if it was any other company that didn't have Microsoft's backing behind them, they'd be gone. They'd be, be gone. gone. Yeah. yeah they, so it is some of them. It's important to think about. And I wonder how that's going to really impact this and impact how the generation starts. Do we actually see a turnaround and does somehow Microsoft end up with higher numbers through year one? Yeah. That's going to be interesting. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. Everybody, answer our community's take question. Uh, you can find it posted on Twitter, in our Discord, and on Facebook. And uh, if you like this show, be sure to uh, give us a rating. Whether it's on YouTube podcast service that offers reviews, give us a review there. Any criticism is bad or good criticism, not bad criticism. But uh, also, <laughs> we take all criticism. Also, if you like this show, be responsible and uh, retweet it and uh, re reshare it. To everybody you know, if you know if somebody in your friend group that likes PlayStation or video games in general and want to hear two morons talk, then uh, we're the perfect thing in the world. 
for them. Uh, so that actually helps us out a lot. It helps expand our community out, which is fantastic for all of us that uh, they come into Discord and have chats or go on Twitter and have chats. And uh, I think it's really, really well worth doing. And you just got to be not lazy to do it. Because there are still people I watch on YouTube to this day daily that I'm not subscribed to. And I'm just like, I, I'm being lazy about it. I, and I've actually, this year, that's been my, that was like my, I didn't actually call it like anything. But like I started paying attention to places like people that I watch all the time. And I'm like, why, why am I not subscribed yep. to them? It's just it's one of those weird things. So, hey, so. if you're one of those people that like to catch us on Mondays at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific or noon Central Time, which you'll find us on YouTube and all podcast services, um, Give us give us that follow or give us that subscribe if you're just as lazy as we are, and we'll work on it ourselves too. But uh, we're gonna have Brett read our Patreon. With uh, we got a brand new Patreon just the, just a few minutes before. Yeah, the show just started. yeah. So I so. couldn't I couldn't add his name to the list, but I'm gonna go ahead and give him the shout out. Either way, so shout out if you're listening to this, Mr. Kevin Bacon bits. Yes, love the name. Love so, the name uh, as well. I'm a little disappointed it's not real Kevin Bacon though. Yeah, but, maybe it is. We don't know. Did Kevin Bacon turn himself into Bacon bits? <laughs> I mean, he turned himself into a Visible Man in that one movie. That is the true. terrible Hollow Man movie. I kind of like that movie in a weird way. You're garbage. It, it's not a good movie. Say that on your podcast. Your movie podcast will roast you. I'll force everybody to watch it. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, since we're here, go check out Midweek quit. Matinee. If you're a patron, you get it a week early. And otherwise, it's uh, just a movie-based podcast where we talk in-depth about one movie. But to clear things up and get this going, we'll see you guys next week. This has been Triangle Squared. Thank you, guys. Thanks to our patrons. Again, shouting out Mr. Kevin Bacon Bits, but also Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Post, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stoner, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and Mr. El Tabib. If you would like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. Thank you.